Well, good morning, everybody. This is Nathan Harris from Celebration Center. I am the lead pastor. For those of you who don't know me, um, I want to welcome you all here. I'm so grateful that you're with us today. Whether you are a guest or a regular attender, our desire for you is that you be able to connect with Jesus in a real way that brings life change where you get to experience him. Now, one of the great ways of being able to do this, honestly, is just through connection with his people. And one of the great ways to get connected here at Celebration Center is to use the Connect With Us tab that's located on your screen. You can uh, look at that or you can go to our website, ccpwallop.com, and you can get connected that way as well. But I encourage you, if you are interested in finding out more about us, if you want to know more about Jesus, if you have a story you want to tell, if if you need prayer, if you, whatever it is, I would love to chat with you. I would love to connect with you. And I'm asking you, please fill out that Connect With Us form. That's our online uh, connection form. And uh, myself or maybe somebody else from the church here will, will get a hold of you. But I, I would love to be able to connect with all of you. Well, we are in a series called The New Normal. And in this series, we're looking at what has become known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament. Okay, so you, you flip well over halfway through your Bible, you get to the New Testament, and the, the Gospel of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament, and we're looking at three chapters in particular, chapters 5, 6, and 7. And, and these three chapters together have become known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in it, Jesus is giving his kind of kingdom manifesto. He's talking about what life looks like. Now, he's he's already called people to him. He's already said, hey, you're part of my family. So everything he says here is not about earning being able to be in his family. It's what life looks like now that we are in his family. And, and I've decided to call this the new normal because in it he's showing us a new and radical way of living. Now we all know what it's like when we encounter a change in life, don't we? I know for my son, Caleb, from time to time, he'll get really frustrated about his little sister, uh, Abigail. She might be tagging along. She might be getting into stuff that he wants to do or, or whatever else. And he sends this question out into the universe. You, if you've got kids, you've probably heard one of your kids saying something like this. But, but Caleb will just look to the heavens and say, why do I have a sister? Right? He's... He's, he's bemoaning the fact that he's got this sister who's annoying him in this moment. And, and what is he doing then? He, he's longing for a time because he remembers, he was old enough when Abigail came along in our family that he, he remembers what it was like before he had a sibling. He knew at that point that he was the center of the family, basically. I mean, this kid was spoiled. He got all of the stuff. He got all of his way. He got, he got everything. And he's looking and longing for that. But now something different is going on. Which, by the way, he prayed for his sister. He prayed that we would be able to have her, which, which was great. And it was awesome. But, but from time to time, he longs for this other way of living because he's not enjoying the, the new way. Now, the coming of Jesus means this kind of change. What was reality, what was normal, is no longer reality. It is no longer normal. The old way of living in the world and, and frankly, of surviving, of just how to get by will now and forever be different. It's different because Jesus' presence means that God is fulfilling 
his promise to have mercy on Israel, to restore all people, and to make the world right. How many of us think that the world needs to be made right? I do. I, it, there's lots wrong in our world, in our country, in our state. It, just you, Everywhere you look, there are problems everywhere. And, and we desperately need God to make all things right. And the coming of Jesus means that God is fulfilling his promise to do that. So that where heaven and earth were separated because of sin, because of rebellion on the part of humans toward God... Now and forever, that is all changed. Through Jesus, that separation is, is done away with. The, the curse of that separation is unwound so that now and forever, heaven and earth overlap. Never to be separated again. That is the gospel. You guys, that is good news. Now, last time we saw how living in Jesus' new normal means that our hearts are changed so that we eliminate anger from our relationships. Remember, we talked about murder and anger, and Jesus raised the bar last week for us, both toward those that we are related to, so those people we work with, the people that we live with, the people that we play with, our, our friends, our family, that, that circle, that group, okay? We eliminate anger from those relationships, but Jesus even took it further and said that we eliminate anger from our the relationships we have with our enemies, our interactions with our enemies, that we make friends with them, that as far as it is up to us, we live at peace with all people. We bring wholeness into every aspect and relationship that we're in, even with our enemies. And where we landed last time was our need to cultivate the heart of reconcilers, to see people as being created in God's image by and confessing our ability our inability, excuse me, to live out Jesus's new way of living and praying for power from God, from his Holy Spirit to empower us to live out Jesus's new normal and way of living and then to be thankful to God for his presence and his faithfulness to us. Now, if you missed last week's message or any of the other messages from this, this series, I encourage you go to ccpuallup.com, click on the sermon podcast link, or you can click on the YouTube link and you can get caught up right there. This week, we are going to continue to look at a few examples that Jesus gave in, in, in saying, remember, in Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus said, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the law, or excuse me, of the, of the scribes and the Pharisees, these guys who taught the law, these guys who lived the law, they were able to check off the lists and say, hey, I have accomplished this, all right? Jesus says, unless your righteousness surpasses their kind of righteousness, the quality of their righteousness, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. For I didn't come to abolish or destroy the law, but to fulfill it, to bring it to its in intended conclusion. And Jesus is going to give us three examples, examples that were prevalent in his day and examples that, frankly, they're prevalent in our day as well, though there might be some slightly different twists on them in, in our culture and in our time. Now, I'm going to focus on the big picture. So though these are important examples and though Jesus does have something to say to them, I want us this morning to look at the big picture because it's a little bit like a puzzle. If, if we don't have the big picture, then the details 
don't necessarily make sense. We might get them in the wrong order, but if we have the big picture, then that big picture tells us where the details go, how they line up, what we need to do, all of those things. So here we go. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, verses 27 through 37. I'm going to be reading out of the NIV, so I encourage you, open up your Bible or your Bible app, follow along, and you can, uh, you can uh, read what Jesus said along with me as I read it. But I am going to go ahead and read it for you. Here we go. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to go into hell. Verse 31, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill it, fulfill to the Lord, excuse me, the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Now, in these verses, as I said, Jesus continues a list of examples that were front and center to his culture to the people he was speaking to and and they speak to us and our culture as well and as we continue as i said last week as we continue we need to remember jesus begins each topic with something like you have heard it said then fill in the blank of what they've heard it said but i say to you so jesus reinterprets something and there are three things that we need to look at and we need to remember as we see jesus saying these things first Jesus is addressing a misapplication of the Old Testament law. Remember from Matthew 5, 17 through 20, Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it, to bring it to its intended end. Jesus isn't challenging the law itself, but rather the misapplication of the law. We need to understand that, okay? That's the first thing. The second thing we need to understand is that Jesus replaces the misapplication with his own ruling. He's setting himself up as the lawgiver. He's setting himself up as the authority for his followers. So again, we have to see Jesus' statement in Matthew 5, 17 through 20 is the backdrop for what he says now. I am saying to you, I am giving you, based on my authority, who I am and what God has, has given me to do, here's what I'm telling you. So that's the second thing. And then a third thing, though, we don't, uh, we don't see this specifically in 
this statement. You have heard it said, but I say to you, um, we in the overall context, we have to keep this third thing in mind, which is that Jesus is talking about having a particular heart condition. You guys, God is far more interested in the condition of our hearts than whether or not we can check off a list of to-dos or that we accomplished everything by the book, by the letter of the law. God wants us to become a certain kind of people. And on the way there, we're probably going to have to say, okay, have I done this? Have I done this? You know, it, it's it's like learning to play an instrument or a sport or anything else. We, we go through steps and we do things, but the goal isn't to be tied to those steps and those, and those practices forever. It's to become a certain kind of person so that we, by nature, by second nature, do what we need to do. So as I said last week, if we are going to understand and apply what Jesus says, we have to keep these three things in mind. If we don't, then we will not be living the kind of righteousness that Jesus wants us to live, the kind that goes beyond mere rule following. We will actually be just like the scribes and the Pharisees. In Jesus' new normal, we are being called into maturity in him that is marked by a heart being changed. It's in the process of being changed from the inside out. So what kind of heart condition is Jesus talking about in what we just read? As I said, I want to look at a big picture, and I think there's an overall heart condition that we can say or that we can see in, in these verses. And here it is. It's, it's what Jesus talked about in Matthew 5, 8, at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the pure in heart. He said, blessed are those who are hungering and thirsting for God so much so that they actively pursue him above all else, that they eliminate everything else in their lives that detracts from being able to pursue God. And he goes on, he says, for they will see God. They're going to get to see him. They're going to get to experience God. My six-year-old Abby really likes to do whatever her older brother is doing, which frankly is probably why from time to time uh, he, he's like, why do I have a sister, right? I mean, there's just, my son loves alone time. His, his sister likes to be up in his business and everybody else's business. Uh, one of the things that she loves to do to participate with, with her brother and with me and, and, and be part of the family is when we play baseball. And for my kids, what, what it looks like to play baseball is that daddy pitches the, the ball to them and then they hit it. And, and my, my daughter is a quick learner. She's very capable. But for quite a while, I had to constantly remind her, sweetie, keep your eye on the ball. Her friends would be over. She would, she would be distracted by a butterfly. She would hear her brother either yelling encouragement or trying to be funny and, and, and his discouragement toward her or whatever. I said, Abigail, you have got to tune everything else out and you have to keep your eye on the ball. You guys, being pure in heart, being the pure in heart people whose righteousness surpasses that of just mere checklist following is a little bit like that. We need to keep our eye on the ball and stay focused on God and what he wants, who he is calling us to be, who we are because of him, because of what he has accomplished in and through Jesus. We need to be laser focused on that. So how do we do that? Well, we begin by number one on your outline, 
Deal radically with what causes you to stumble. Deal radically with what causes you to stumble. The verses we're looking at this morning give us a way uh, for us to become this kind of people within the context of, of common issues, both in Jesus's culture and, and in ours. And, and so let's look at the first example that Jesus gives. Matthew 5, 27 through 30. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus is once again talking about a misinterpretation of the law and demonstrating his ultimate authority. And this time he's framing what he says within the context of lust, an, an issue prevalent in his day and in ours. Now, the lustful looking Jesus is talking about has nothing to do with a feeling or a desire. It, it's not like Jesus is saying, you know what, if you pass a beautiful woman on the street and you think, wow, she's really beautiful, then you're lusting. That, that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. Okay? Rather, what he's talking about has to do with inclining our hearts toward lust through planning of some sort, through engaging with it at some level, and then taking some action based on that inclination. And just with anger and murder, it's the condition of our heart that is important. It's not the mere rule following. Well, I didn't actually have adultery with somebody. I didn't actually engage in this illicit thing with, with somebody else. Jesus says that the condition of our heart is what is important. In our society, probably the most common way this particular issue is seen at play is through pornography use which, frankly, it affects both men and women. The statistics of, of women engaging in, 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 that, in the usage of pornography is much lower than for men. That, that's the truth. But, but there are a number of women who do. Um, so it affects men and women. And you guys, it has a huge toll on relationships. I have talked with wives who have been married to, to men who, who engage in pornography and and the sorrow in their hearts over it and, and how it makes them feel and, and knowing what, what their husbands are involved in. You guys, this, it, it takes a toll on the relationships between husband and wife, between people, and also between us and God. Here's what, how Jesus said to deal with it. Verse 29, if your right eye causes you to stumble, that is, if, if your right eye derails you from the salvation God is bringing through me, and living the life God intends for you to live, gouge it out and throw it away. I think Jesus is using hyperbole here, okay? And we're going to talk about what that means here in just a couple of minutes. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for the whole body to be thrown into hell, into Gehenna, into that same place that he was talking about with, with the anger where dehumanizing things happen and God's divine judgment rests. This is a bad place to be, to be assigned to, okay? Verse 30, and if your right hand causes you to stumble, if your right hand uh, causes you to be derailed from the salvation God is bringing through me and the life that God is calling you into, 
cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, in these two verses, as I said, Jesus is using hyperbole. He's exaggerating for the sake of effect. Jesus doesn't actually want us to go around gouging out our eyes and cutting off our hands, okay? He is using these examples as a very intense and pointed example of of what he's talking about. The message that he's bringing across is very clear. Whatever gets in the way of what God wants to do in and through you, get rid of it. Be radical in how you deal with it. I remember a time I was working on losing weight and it was Thanksgiving. I was hanging out with my family. I was at my grandpa and grandma's place. Loved hanging out with them. Uh, my grandpa has gone to be with Jesus. Uh, but but it was, we had so much fun together. Food was always awesome. And this particular time, I remember I was trying to lose weight. And, and so I actually declined dessert. Okay. In my mind, in my thinking, I knew if I open, if I crack the door open to being able to engage in this, I know my sweet, I, I know my inclination to give in to my sweet tooth and how much that just eating pie and ice cream and, and all kinds of really yummy things is, is going to derail me, derail my process. And my, and my grandpa was incredulous about this. He's like, Nathan, a little bit isn't going to hurt you. And you know what? He was right. A little bit of dessert wasn't going to hurt me. But the, the truth was, I didn't know if I could trust myself to only land on just a little bit. Okay? I, I wanted to lose weight. I was focused. I was laser focusing on that. And at least for that time, I needed to not engage in dessert. Our world tells us a little is okay. After all, everybody does it. And then it ridicules those who are radical on how they deal with what gets in the way of their relationship and life with Jesus. But you guys, the question we have to answer is, what is it that we really want? What do we really want? Because there are some things where a little bit really can kill us. And this particular issue that Jesus is talking about here. It is one of those things, this lust, it, it's one of those things where we, if we give in, then, then all kinds of other things can come along with that. Here's what we're told in Galatians 5, verse 9. A little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. Anybody who bakes bread understands this. It doesn't take much for the yeast to have an effect on the bread. Okay. Now, in this statement, Paul was talking specifically about a false teaching that was prevalent in the church in Galatia. And he's saying, if you guys tolerate this, if you allow this to remain here, it is going to adversely affect you. But even though Paul was talking about a false teaching, I think the principle still applies for what we're looking at here. It doesn't take much to derail someone from their life with God. And the only answer is to deal radically with it and to root out whatever gets in the way. Now, that doesn't mean that we always do it perfectly. It doesn't mean that we aren't going to need to rely on God to, to show us 
what it is that we need to root out. We need him to point things out, okay? I'm not suggesting that you just go shut yourself up in your room and, and that you do nothing in life. No, that, that's not what God has called us to. We do this in relationship with him. We learn how to root these things out as we are walking with him and being connected with him. But but we still need to deal radically with whatever causes you to stumble. That's number one. Number two, the next thing Jesus talks about is be faithful. Be faithful. Here's, here's the example. Here's how Jesus puts it in Matthew 5, 31 through 32. He says, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Once again, Jesus is addressing a misapplication of the law, one that's based on strict adherence. And in Jesus's culture, it was based on the idea that, well, marriage is going to fail. So when it fails, you have to give a certificate of divorce. But that wasn't God's original intent. Jesus is actually calling the people to God's original intent. Now, I and he does so on his own authority. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time about talking about what is or isn't permissible regarding divorce at this point. Okay? there. Is, Jesus has things to say about it. He says a little bit of it here. But again, I think Jesus is giving us a big picture that we I want us to look at. All right? Uh, so I'm not going to enter into the debate of about what is or isn't permissible. Because what that does is it actually derails us from the, the perspective or, or the understanding of what it is Jesus is calling us to, which is that pure in heart people who are living Jesus's new normal. For now, I will say that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And divorced people are not second-class citizens in God's kingdom. If they were, then guess what? Everybody else would be second-class citizens as well because Jesus and the rest of the New Testament have all kinds of things to say about all kinds of different sin and things that separate us from God. So if one particular group is separated from God, I guarantee you the rest of us are as well. I will say this. When Jesus spoke these words... At the time, the culture that he was speaking to, it was only men who could initiate divorce. Women couldn't initiate it. And there was a very uh, loose way of interpreting the law that said, if your wife displeases you, if she messes up your dinner, literally, if she messes up your dinner, you can, that she's displeased you, and that's grounds for divorce. And, and guys did this. But they were adhering to the law. They were giving their wives a certificate. So they were checking off the box and they were staying pure according to their law, to their tradition. It was a little bit like my daughter is a girly girl and she loves outfits. She loves to look pretty. She loves to feel pretty, you know, all those things. And so one of the things she does, anybody who else who has a daughter maybe has experienced this, but my daughter will go and she sometimes, if, if we aren't careful, she will change outfits three, four, five times a day. And so there's this pile of laundry, right? And, and it affects how much we have to do in terms of laundry. And we've had to tell my daughter, you know, hey, don't change your outfits. Pick one outfit. Let's wear that all day. And then we can pick another one for the next 
day. The issue Jesus is addressing here is a little bit like that. He's talking to people who are, a lot of people who were changing marital relationships the way my daughter sometimes changes outfits on a whim. All right, they were doing it left, right, and center, just all over the place. But they were following the the letter of the law because they were giving a certificate of divorce. Jesus's big picture message to them is clear: be faithful. God is calling you to be faithful to your spouse. Do not divorce your spouse. God intends that you not be separated, not that you just merely give a certificate when you do divorce. Jesus is telling us, be faithful. That's the second thing. The third thing, be honest. Here's the example, Matthew 5, 33 through 37. Jesus says, be honest. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Again, Jesus is, is, is talking about a misapplication of the law, one based on strict adherence to the letter of the law on, based on their interpreter's understanding of it, and then he reinterprets the law. For, for, Jesus reinterprets the law for the people based on his own authority, and this time he's addressing people following through with what they've said they will do. He tells them, be honest. Now, I have heard this passage applied, and, and you probably have too at one time or another. Uh, I've heard it applied in such a way that anyone who goes to be a witness in court is told that you shouldn't swear. You shouldn't take the oath. You shouldn't put your hand on the Bible and raise your hand and, and promise to tell the, the, the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you, God. Don't, that's an oath, and because Jesus says don't make oaths, uh, you can't do that. You guys, that is not the kind of righteousness Jesus is driving at here. Again, he's using hyperbole. He's using exaggeration. The issue at hand in Jesus's day is that people debated on, uh, on, on the oaths and, and how sacred they were and how binding they were. Okay, So if you made an oath based on, on the, the sacrifice that goes on the altar, or you made an oath by the altar okay, you, you claimed that, then which one is more sacred, the, 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 the gift or, or, or the altar itself? What is more sacred, the city of Jerusalem or, or the temple? So if you say, I promise by the city of Jerusalem that I will do thus and such, or I promise by the temple that I will do thus and such, there was debate over what was more binding, which is more sacred, which carries more weight. And then those things that carried less weight, that it was, it was a system that gave people loopholes to not fulfill what they said they would do. That's the issue Jesus is addressing here. He's addressing the practice of finding loopholes to fulfilling what one has said they would do. It's a little bit like my daughter, Abigail, when she promises to do something and then she comes back, sorry, dad, I don't have to do it. My fingers are crossed. 
my eyes were crossed, my legs were crossed, my I, the, a couple of hairs on my head were crossed, whatever was it was crossed, and and so my my word is not binding, okay. Jesus makes his position on this clear. Everything you swear by ultimately belongs to God. That's what he says. It all belongs to God. You can't control everything. So there's really no separation between sacred and secular anyway. Ultimately, it belongs to God. So fulfill what you said you will do. Jesus says the pure in heart people do this. They're honest. They can be counted on to keep their word. Be honest, Jesus says. As we seek to live Jesus's new normal as the pure in heart people, we need to radically deal with what makes us stumble. We need to be faithful and we need to be honest. Now, in just in a moment of honesty here, I don't always do those things well. And I bet you don't either. So how do we engage in this? How do we become the people who are, who are pursuing this? We stay connected to Jesus through confession, prayer, and thankfulness. We stay connected to Jesus. Do these things. Do these practices. Allow him to speak into you. Ask him the question, where am I being unfaithful? Where am I being dishonest? Where am I not dealing radically with something? What am I holding on to that's getting between me and you? And then give me the power I need to, to overcome that. And thank you for your grace. Thank you for being with me. Thank you for your mercy. You guys, again, Jesus is not giving us a list to accomplish perfectly. He's, talk, he's taking us and bringing us into a certain kind of life where we participate in cultivating the pure in heart life Jesus is calling us to. When we engage in this, we are living out what we're told in Psalm 50, verses 14 through 15, where it says, sacrifice thank offerings to God. He, he's... God has just asked the question, do I desire burnt offerings? Do I, do I need to eat, you know, uh, bulls and goats and, you know, all of these things? And he says, sacrifice, thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High and call on me in the day of trouble. He says, stay connected to me. Live a pure heart and I will deliver you and you will honor me. What might happen if we pursued cultivating the pure in heart, new normal Jesus is calling us to, what if? What would our families look like? What would our community look like? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you give us your grace, that you bring us into your family. God, you are marvelous. You are big, you are loving, and, and you are beyond description and words. Father, I pray for all of us that you would help us to engage with you in remaining in you through this confession and, and being able just to admit, hey, I, I don't get it right all of the time. And prayer, asking you for for help and for sight and for understanding all of these things. And then God, thankfulness, living a life of thankfulness before you in all things, in all seasons and in all ways. 
We need you desperately. We need you to bring us out of mere rule following into being the kind of people that you have called us to be, that you've created us in Christ to be. Give us wisdom in this. Give us ability. Give us courage. And lead us to where you want us to go. If you're here today and, and you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower, I'm going to say a short prayer. Just make it yours. God, I want to live your life. I want to be part of your family. I want to, I want to experience this gospel, this good news. Make me part of your family. The reality of, of, of you with us through Jesus. Make that rea real in, in my life, in my heart, in my relationships. I give you me right now. Father, for anyone who made that prayer of theirs, I ask that you would fill them with you, that you would fill them with your presence, with your goodness, that they would experience your love right now. Transform them and transform all of us, God, into the pure in heart people who are desperately seeking you above all else, radically dealing with what gets in the way being faithful in our relationships to you and to those around us and, and fulfilling our word. God, doing what we say, even at, at, at whatever it costs us. Thank you for your love, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you guys, thanks for being with us. I look forward to seeing you next week. We're going to continue in the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' new normal. And we're going to wrap up this section with, with a couple more examples that Jesus gives. God bless you guys. I look forward to interacting with you next week.